0: You're listening to an Airwave Media podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet.
1: Actually, suggested to remove horn from wild rhinos. Mm. And that seems like a. I was like, that's pretty genius, right? The problem with that concept is.
0: What can they teach us? Right. And, I mean, ibuprofen does that, and better, yeah. than rhino horn. Yeah. So there's actually no scientific proof whatsoever that rhino horn has any therapeutic Many species are in crisis and need your help. It's actually really sad. I mean, again... I
1: mean, could you imagine if our kids couldn't have the same experiences with the rhinos that we've had? I know. And- or even, one step further, our grandkids? Yeah. Yeah, I, and, then, and then we have to tell them that it's our fault.
0: I know. I know. It's yes. Join the movement
1: at allcreaturespod.com. All right, so welcome to the
0: All Creatures Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Angie. Today, Angie, we get to talk about your favorite animal.
1: I'm very excited. We'll be talking about rhinos know, today. Rhinos are awesome.
0: They are, they are amazing. And you and I both have been very fortunate to be able to, to work for these animals and and do some research. Sure, up right. close
1: and personal. Right. Absolutely, I've got to look at them. I've got to feed them. I've Pet got to them. study them. I've got to <laughs> scratch them, rub them yeah. all over their bodies. So yes, I'm um, a very, very intimate love for these uh, beautifully horned creatures that are desperately in need uh, of our actions to right. help save them. Yeah,
0: they're in big trouble. And they what the second largest land mammal?
1: Second largest yeah. land mammal. Next Absolutely. To,
0: next to my baby's the elephants. And I know in Florida we've been very fortunate to work with some conservation centers that we've been able to go and and help with some of the research, which we'll cover a little bit today. You know, we don't want to bore people too much with the, the nerdy details, but you know, or speak,
1: cool details. Yeah, for cool
0: details, it is very awesome. Like it's your research. Oh, it makes me so excited, and you know that because for for years we've been been planning this. So I'm going to start with some more geeky science, Angie. I'm sorry, we're not going to bore you this time.
1: Oh, that's okay. Yeah. You can wake me up when it's over and we get to talk about fun <laughs> stuff like behavior, yeah, nutrition.
0: And life cycle, stuff like that. But th- it's very, very important, I think, to kind of go over some of this uh, geeky details to make people understand.
1: And there, I think there's some fun parts. As right. long as you talk about the the woolly rhino, I will be okay. listening.
0: Okay, <laughs> So let's start out with amino acids.
1: Yay. Okay, I, was, <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> Not
0: mitochondrial D-Day. We're, oh. go, we're going amino acids and... and the reason I bring this up is just they're organic compounds. Today in chemistry, today in science, we can break down everything. We know the chemical composition of pretty much anything terrestrial or, you know, anything on Earth we can get our hands on, right? I mean, you're doing analytical chemistry right now.
1: I am, and I wish I would have paid more <laughs> attention than chemistry, if my we're not, friend. We're not going to be talking it. about
0: analytical chemistry in this, but, but you're doing that right now with your I research, am. yes. yes, trying, struggling. Yes, with your, uh, with your rhino stuff. But this i I think will make sense in a second. so let me let me just compare two substances, and then you try to guess what they are. okay, so nitrogen, fifteen percent of this compound is nitrogen, both of them are about fifteen percent nitrogen. sulfur, okay, about five percent, one, about three percent the other. okay, not much difference. I mean, that's a little different, not much. okay, then you go into some of the amino acids, the histidine lysine, arginine. Hey, we've done ah, some arginine research. I right? don't want to
1: eat this substance, yeah. whatever it is, because arginine is bitter. <laughs> yeah, I know it's
0: gross. Um, but hey, it's good stuff. It's 0. 0.6, 2.5, 8.0, almost exactly the same. Okay. And then you can go down some of the other amino acids. I won't bore you with, with all of them, but do you know the difference between the two? There's not much, right? No, they
1: sound the same to yeah, me.
0: Yeah. So that's the difference between what's made up in the human hair. So our hair and rhino horn. Absolutely no difference.
1: Interesting. Right. I always knew it was basically keratin based. Right. But I didn't realize that it was the profile was so similar yeah. to hair.
0: So like when you look break it down chemically, there's no really minor, minor differences. And if people really want rhino horn, I will add a little tryptophan, a little more sulfur for them, <laughs> yeah. so they can get this so called medicinal effect that doesn't exist. They've done a lot of chemical analytical chemistry, rhino horn. Does not differ from chimpanzee hair, our hair, goat hair, wool, cow horn, fingernails, porcupine quills. Like, they drop those like crazy. Let's go collect up a bunch of porcupine quills. Right, and
1: grind those and up. And grind
0: those up and send them off to Asia. So, yeah. Uh, snakeskin. Yeah, go ahead. And del- Yum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, there's no difference. There's no difference. So, it's basic
1: horns, basically like hair. Modified right. hair. It is.
0: It is. And then... <sighs> And that's the, that's the problem with, with rhinos. They're being poached or murdered or killed for their horns. Because there is ancient belief in, in, in Asian medicine, really Chinese herbal medicine, that rhino horns medicinal. They think it treats fevers or rheumatism, you know, which is joint pain, gout, or some other disorders.
1: So Kind of like a catch-all. Right. Because and it there, really doesn't do anything. So you can just say that it does everything. Right.
0: And, I mean, ibuprofen does that. And better than rhino horn. So there's actually no scientific proof whatsoever that rhino horn has any therapeutic effect.
1: Yeah, I think that that is a key take-home message today. If we don't get anything else across, that there's no scientific evidence that rhino horn helps with any ailment or any uh, physical stimulation.
0: Absolutely. There's nothing. It doesn't do anything. It's... So there, you know, and, and and I think, I think probably what happens is this thing called a placebo effect, mm-hmm. which is, that has a lot of scientific evidence, numerous studies that have shown, you know, people, when they have a belief that the medicine helps them, sure. they actually do get a little bit better. Perhaps. You know, or they, or they think they're getting yeah. better. So there is this placebo effect that that's very, very well known, very, very well documented.
1: Well, and Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but I also believe that some of it's, um, cultural, right? And and social status. And I know that a lot of the Asian culture for years uh, had been financially distressed and not doing well. And now there's a big booming middle class with their economy. And I believe that not only horn being used for medicine, but similar with the elephants is some of these, whenever trinkets or jewelry are made out of either a rhino horn or ivory that it's uh, almost a social status. Right. Like hey look at me, look at the Joneses. Right. I've got, you know, I've got this, do you have this type. Right. Of, they're hard to get, they're exotic. Right. And so some of it too is a little bit, you know, cultural and and social status, which is is a hard thing to com- combat. Um, it
0: is. It is. And I think education too. Like again, education of our key. podcast is mm-hmm. to educate people and I know, you know, we've talked to people with the elephants that one of the things that they're doing uh, in China is a lot of celebrities are going and saying how ivory's not cool. And so now, actually, the demand for ivory is going down because people don't realize they come from elephants and that elephants are killed for the Mm -hmm. ivory. So I think if we can educate those cultures. And get more of a presence, get right? Get through the younger
1: generation right, telling their moms and dads, don't do that.
0: Right. And one of the other concerns, you know, using... You know, there's a lot of things with, you know, animal products, tiger bone. Sure, and, yeah, that's... you know, things like you know, these these exotic animals. One of the concerns is zoonosis, which you're probably familiar with. And that's, you know, infectious diseases being spread by using these animal parts.
1: Right. I mean, so, it happens when we consumes domestic products sometimes, let alone... I right. couldn't even imagine what's out there and wild, and while the animals po- s- illegally poached animal parts. Right.
0: So it's like you know, it's it's there's no there's no need for it medically. Yeah,
1: eat your you fingernails know. instead. And
0: I, and I'll <laughs> say there's good Chinese medicine. Like I go to acupuncture once a week. I love it. I believe in it. I well, don't think it's placebo effect. No, there's but I feel a, there, better. Yeah. there
1: there's definitely documented scientific yeah. evidence of it doing some of its claims. Right. So that is the difference.
0: Right. So there's I, I you know it, it's not to say that that there aren't valid oh, Eastern no. medicine. There's a lot of great Absolutely. stuff in, in Eastern medicine. It's just rhino horn is one that is bunk. There's mm-hmm. no medicinal value. Eat your fingernails and you'll get the same amount of tryptophan. I don't know about and you. Arginine. Yeah,
1: I don't know about you. Um, but I know I've consumed a fair amount of my own hair yeah. and dog hair <laughs> yeah, gross. and I don't have <laughs> any of those, you know, it doesn't give me any benefits. Yeah,
0: exactly. A little little uh, extra stuff in your food.
1: Mhm.
0: So anyways, uh, you know, we're going to get get more into this, but rhinos are are in, in trouble. You know, I think, Severe I think trouble. You know, a lot of people kind of realize that, but poaching in the last 6 years has gone up about 2,000%. Sure. So it's really, you know, uh, gotten That's horrific. That's a crazy high
1: number, Chris. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's really scary. It's
1: actually really, really bad. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Obviously, I know your favorite's the elephant. We, we talked about that uh, last week. But the rhinos are even in bigger trouble than the elephants.
0: Yes. Yes. Much more. Because okay. they have a much smaller population, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about here in a second. That, you know, when you're talking the largest population of rhinos, Maybe get in between twenty and 30,000 sure. Southern mm-hmm. whites, but, you know, we're going to talk about the Northern whites here in a second. There's three left. Yeah. So you sad. Know. Yeah. They're done. And bye the Javan, the Sumatran. My children will never see them. Yeah. They're done. So, or they're they're on their way out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, it's actually really sad. I mean, again. I mean,
1: could you imagine if our kids couldn't have the same experiences with the rhinos that we've had? I know. And, or even know. one step further, our grandkids. Yeah. Yeah, I, and then and then we have to tell them that it's our fault.
0: I know. I know. It's, you know, and it's funny. It's like when I, I show that picture and, and maybe we'll, we'll post them up on a, the show notes, me and you petting those rhinos at, at White Oak. But, you know, my, my son's like, I want to pet a rhino. <laughs> <You> know, <and laughs> Who I'm doesn't? Like, I'm like, first of all, no, you're too little. I'm not putting you anywhere near that, that beast. And then second, you know, yeah. I mean, he when he's an adult, he may never be able to, to see that. The... Rhino history is is pretty interesting, almost like the elephants, like we discussed in the last episode, in that roughly 50 million years ago is when these animals have kind of evolved. You know, you think about the fifth mass extinction, mm-hmm. big meteor comes, wipes out the dinosaurs. Again, and like what I, I spoke in episode one, that took about half a million years. Right. To completely
1: it wipe out. Didn't happen overnight.
0: Yeah. Completely wipe out the dinosaurs. And then with the rise of mammals rhinos were one of the the big species that that kind of came up and interesting a lot of people don't know this and i know we do but a lot of people don't and that is that rhinos are actually related to horses right, right?
1: that's one of the reasons they're my great love
0: yeah exactly <laughs> it's the uh, the rhino the rhinoceros the taper which is which people may not know what a taper is like they I might not yeah it's like a pig-looking thing with a snout. And how would you describe it? Yeah,
1: I would describe it just like that. It's about the size of a pig. Of course, they vary a little bit here and there. And, and they're black and white typically. Right. Right. Uh, and yeah, they they I always think of them living in South America, but they also live in Malaysia, which is across the big ocean. Yeah, so that's Pacific. crazy.
0: Yeah, so it's like you had these three major species. You had horses, rhinos, and tapirs come out, and they form this group called the odd-toed ungulates which My is favorites. your your favorite mm-hmm. right and that means they they don't have even toes so if we think of cows bison buffalo camels goats camels deer goats like
1: split hooves they split, split toes, hooves
0: right yeah. they're they're even toed mm-hmm. and then you have the odd toed which horses zebras have one mm-hmm. the rhinos have 3 and then the taper has actually four in the front feet and three in the back.
1: Oh, it's a goofball.
0: Yeah, so they're kind of the, the they weirdo. Took, they took
1: like the average. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, and then I think it's just awesome that the taper—you have this taper that's in South and Central America, and then they're in Malaysia yeah, across those three the Pacific. species.
1: Don't look alike. No,
0: no, pretty pretty different. But rhinos, okay, so so arose about 55 million years ago and kind of split off, forming their own species and have had. Many different versions of of rhino. So we had the woolly rhino, which a lot of people think of the Ice Age. You had this... this Yeah, that's my son's coat. favorite. Yeah, yeah. the woolly rhino is awesome. But they went extinct, right, at the end of the Ice Age about mm-hmm. 10,000 years ago. One rhino that's really cool, and I'm going to put the picture up on the, the show notes, and this is the giant rhino of Siberia. And you, I've never
1: heard of this rhino. This thing is
0: amazing. Like, it is crazy looking, and so that's why I, I really wanted to kind of touch upon it. First of all, because we did have these huge species of rhino. Uh, even like big- how big? So, even bigger than the ones we have today, right? So, okay. this one was almost the size of a mammoth. What? Yeah. So Wow. They, so, you had a mammoth that stood 9 to 11 feet at the shoulder. That's very tall. These ones could stand almost 7 feet at the shoulder. Really? Yeah, they're huge. And then they had this enormous looking, you know, horn that just stick straight up from their nose, and it's it's really funky looking. Let me see a
1: picture of yeah, that.
0: Yeah, so you can see the picture of...
1: Oh, yeah, you have to put that online. Yeah, so That's amazing. Yeah. It looks like it has a dunce cap on or something. Yeah,
0: it's it's crazy. And it, it's Evolution. A, yeah, and they have, you know, skeletons of, of these guys. So, yeah, very, very cool-looking <laughs> old ancient rhino unique. species. Okay, but these guys went, went extinct about 30,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. Today... We really have two lineages, almost like the elephants. We we have the African and the Asian, and then we have many species of, of rhinos. So there's five main species. Most people think of rhinos, they think of the white rhino. Like they,
1: the iconic one. Right,
0: the one that everybody's like, oh, when they think of a rhino, they think of this big, huge one.
1: The African.
0: The African whites. There is the African black rhinos, which are a little bit smaller. We'll get into the, the physical sizes. And then you have... Really three species of, of Asian. You have the Indian, the Sumatran, and the Javan. So the white rhino, interesting, the the name, it's not because they're white, right? They're,
1: I think they're gray. Yeah,
0: they're gray. <laughs> and they're Afrikaans. If the Afrikaans called them wide, W-Y-D. But they, the way they said it, the Europeans heard white.
1: Oh, interesting. So instead
0: of wide... and and it's because their lips, right? So you, sure. Yeah,
1: the broad, flat, grazing lip. lips.
0: Yeah. So they said wide lip is really, but they thought, oh, white. Okay, the white rhino, and so gray. then
1: is the black a play off the white? Yeah,
0: I think so. Must I think be so. right. Huh, interesting. Right. Okay. Yeah. So the the white rhino is probably the one species most people think of, and there was two subspecies. There's the southern whites, which probably doing the best of any rhino on mm-hmm. earth, yep. but still not doing great.
1: No. No. Yeah.
0: Yeah, not doing not doing well at all. They're less than thirty thousand, in between twenty and thirty thousand left.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think we we talked a lot about numbers of uh, uh, elephants last right. week. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but in general, the rhino population is much lower, much much yeah. lower.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, elephant population, you're talking half a million. Uh, a little less than half a million for African for African elephants and then 40,000 for the Asians rhinos. You're talking 30,000 whites and that's the best population. You know, and then when you get to the blacks, you're looking at 3,500, 4,000 numbers plummet. Right. And then it's even worse for some of them. One, I really want to talk about is the northern whites and that they've been in the news and some people may be aware of them. There's three left of northern whites.
1: So sad. Yeah.
0: They're done. They're done. They're going extinct. Yes. They're, they will be extinct in our My lifetime. My son will
1: not know about them. Yeah. Or yeah. he will because I'll tell them about yeah. them. Or
0: you'll get on the project and go over to Africa. Or I'll save yeah. them, yeah. Which yeah. is very possible with you. Anyways, the uh, there's only three left. One male, two female. The The male Sudan, he's 44 years old. So he's not got much more uh, time on earth. Then Najin, who's a 28-year-old female. And then Fatu is the daughter to Najin. She's 17. So you and I both are are working with the researchers that are are fighting to try to save these species. both our personal conversations with them pretty much recognize this species is on their way out these you know' we're, these aren't a breeding population' well, it's not sustainable
1: breed. with yeah. only three yeah
0: I mean, and maybe maybe you know we can bank some genetics and,
1: well they yes they uh, uh there was there have been more in captivity not a lot but there are definitely a lot more um i believe at san diego global and then of course in some european zoos and and in some conservation centers in africa and they have a lot not a lot but they have a fair amount of um preserved right. gametes and whatnot that they potentially could use to if they wanted to help save the species or to at revive least the
0: species revive
1: right. them or learn more about them so because the the northern white rhinos, that are the three that are alive, are pretty much deemed non-reproducible. Right. And so they would need the genetics from this frozen zoo. Right. And researchers are a uh, great um, race against the clock to try to figure out what to do with this frozen zoo of these northern white rhinos as far as using artificial techniques uh, with the southern rhino, right. um, potentially uh, breed them with southerns, or at least learn more about how to do these artificial techniques um, or in vitro and, and in vivo techniques to save these guys and right. or to help save the white rhinos I should right. say we learn about the northerns to help save the, um, the white and yeah the horse, whites or the blacks, blacks or the
0: Asians Or the Asians right so
1: yeah it's it's pretty an incredible project and it's a lot of the a lot of the reproductive technologies of course are there in uh, humans mm-hmm. and in cows and even mm-hmm. even to a certain extent in horses but nothing like this has been a, been attempted in, in rhinos. So we have a lot to learn about the reproductive physiology and if this would even work as far as artificial insemination, right. um, or embryo transfer. Yeah.
0: Some, some of these advanced techniques some and really cool things. And, and they, I think they're the Northern whites is a great microcosm of this sixth mass extinction that sure. we find ourselves in.
1: That we, we're, we are witnessing.
0: Right. That we're in, we're, we're, in, we're in the middle of it. Right. So they, you know, if you look at this species specifically, and if we look at populations in 1900, there was about maybe 3,000 left of Northern whites. And then the last hundred years, in, in the 70s, there was about 500 left. And then in 2003, there was 30 left. And then here in the year, you know, we're closing up 2017, there's. So three. in
1: modern times, we went right. from 3,000 to three.
0: Yeah.
1: In and, and so and over 100 years with technology. And we just let that happen.
0: Right. And it's happening to many species, sure. not just the northern whites. So that's kind of a a, a really uh, wake up call highlight, right, of of what it is. So the southern whites are the ones that are doing okay, mm-hmm. but still not that great. Then you have the black rhino. So the other African rhino is, is the black rhino. There's maybe three thousand left. Three subspecies. They've we know the western black rhino just went extinct five years ago there's the chobe black rhino the ugandan black rhino they think they're extinct so the the other two subspecies is the eastern blacks which are the ones that that are doing okay not great
1: i th- i think you use that term loosely <laughs> yeah they're doing horrible
0: uh they're in tanzania so there's a few uh, small populations there and then the south central black rhino are the ones that are kind of trying to be reintroduced uh to parts of of africa now The Asians, the three Asians, there's the Indian rhino, which...
1: Or also known as the greater one-horn.
0: Right, the greater one-horn rhino. And this is the one that that is really funky looking.
1: Yeah, this is one of the ones, uh, the first time I saw it in person in a conservation center here in Florida, I was... I was moved because right. it was such a unique and different looking right. rhino as far as its body. It has almost like plates. Right. I mean, they're not plates, obviously. Yeah. It's the way its skin folds over in different parts um, is just super unique. And right. It
0: almost looks like a dinosaur skin. It does. It does. It's, not, it does. Know, it's, it's so cool. Yeah. yeah, they're really cool. So those populations are in India. They're Of all the Asians, they're the ones doing the best. Then the Javan rhino is the most endangered animal. Or mammal on earth, right? Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. So sad.
0: Yeah. There's only about 50, 60 left.
1: And I mean, it's not sustainable.
0: Yeah. They're And they're in one park in Java. And I've read read up on a little bit of these guys. They, they're they not doing very well. So they're probably going to be extinct in our lifetime, mm-hmm. you know, with all the pressures that are going on there. And then the Sumatran, the smallest rhino. They only stand about four feet at the shoulder. They're, they have lots of hair. Lots of hair. Yes. Really I, cool, yeah.
1: I was blessed enough to get to meet a Sumatran rhino that had been born in captivity, I think in Cincinnati, yeah. and not historically, not very many of them have been in captivity because their populations are so low. But there was a great movement to breed a few in captivity and then re-release them. And so I, at a conservation center here in Florida, I was able to meet Harry, the yeah. Sumatran rhino, and who was bred, I believe, in Cincinnati, and he was just such a sweet cute yeah. guy I mean it's very small right, and right. they have this long hair which they think helps uh, protect them from moisture and they don't do well in, with a lot of sun they think it might prevent them right. from sunburn they live in forested type areas and so um, they they love shade and this hair might have something to do with that evolutionary speaking but they're just the cutest thing you've ever seen and Harry was a doll and then recently Harry ha- was um, translocated to um, a national park In Sumatra, I believe, to hopefully be introduced to some of the last remaining populations with attempts to breed. Right. And this is another really great story of uh, animals in a captive setting being bred and then released in the wild to hopefully do their thing. And now their numbers are low. It's definitely super risky. Yeah. But you can kind of follow him a little bit on social media or some of the websites. And, uh, I like to always, I'm rooting for you, Harry, get out there and do your business boy. Yeah,
0: I think I remember, I think I was with you when we, we met Harry and then, you know, they, uh, yeah, he was the, the one male they had mm-hmm. and then they relocated him. Yeah, and he amazing. needed he
1: needed a girlfriend and basically yeah. the only girlfriend was across the sea.
0: Yeah, on the other side of earth <laughs> where I'm going to. Yes. Yeah, when I go to New Zealand. Um, so historical ranges again very similar to elephants that I think the you know they ranged most of Africa. There was regions where Big they didn't. Right. Yeah. And not it's interesting because they weren't so much in the the deep deep rainforest like say the forest elephants are. But, you know, you did have desert roaming, mm-hmm. like the northern whites were a lot of part of those desert regions. Now, really isolated in Africa to very, very small pockets, national Fragmented. parks. Right. Yeah. You know, it even brings me to what you brought up in the elephants that, you know, when the Europeans came in and exploited Africa. And then also today, we put up fence lines and say, okay, this is it. This is where your territory is.
1: Right. Regardless of season yeah. or historical migration patterns right. or breeding needs.
0: It's like, nope, this is it. And then the animals break down the fences and get out. And we're like, why? Right. Because that's not their natural range. Um, big, big problem down there. So very similar in Asia too, you know, where they, they roamed most of Asia. And again, as that population booms, you know, we're approaching 8 billion, you know, 10 billion by the end of this century. That's a
1: lot of people.
0: Yeah. And so you have these, uh, these effects. And then you t- toss in the rhino trade, the rhino horn trade. And so now you just have so many pressures on the this species that it's just not sustainable. Wiping them out. Right, right. So one thing that maybe it's a good good point to bring up here is how do we save them? And this is kind of a tricky tricky one, Angie.
1: It is. It's very complex, and there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of uh, players in the game, cooks in the kitchen, however you want to say it, uh, people with different opinions, them. right? Because right. we don't know the answer, right? Um, but the good hopeful news is. For as many bad guys out there that are poaching them, uh, I think there's a lot more people that want to save them. Right. It's just figuring out and how the heck do we do that.
0: Right. And I think, you know, part of... um you know, what's helped reduce the ivory trade is knowledge and education. Absolutely. Now with rhino horn, same thing. Like in Vietnam, it's a it's a big place for for rhino horn to go. Sure. And, interestingly, and,
1: yeah, interestingly, yeah. Interestingly enough, uh, Vietnam is one of the big consumers of rhino horn. Where a lot of people always, assume, uh, think it's China, right? But actually, Vietnam.
0: Right, right. And it's just again, no medicinal value whatsoever. So this gentleman in South Africa, and I want to bring him up real quick, uh, John Hume, and his idea is to ranch and raise rhinos. Now, when I first heard about him, I was like, this is the most evil man on earth because he's raising rhinos and having them killed for their horns. And it's actually not. So I, you know, sorry, John, you know, if you ever hear this, you know, I think you have an interesting idea (laughs) and I'd really like to debate you more about it because it's, it may be one way to save them.
1: And it's like domestication. almost. Right.
0: So what he has is he has about 1500 rhinos on a ranch in South Africa. And he anesthetizes them every about 20 months or every two years. And he shaves the rhino horn. Doesn't kill them. Because again, this is like fingernails. And
1: it'll grow back. It
0: grows back. But
1: it takes a long time. It takes
0: a long time to grow back. It grows very slowly. And he shaves it. And he's been saving these for years. And he has like millions of dollars of rhino horn saved up. Just recently, South Africa opened up the allowing him to sell.
1: Sure, in 2017. Rhino horn. Right.
0: Just a couple months ago. Didn't sell that great, but he sold some. Right. His idea is if he floods the market with with reasonable, gets more people to ranch and raise rhinos, that he'll be able to save the species. So I go back and forth. Or does he just want to make a buck? Exactly. I go back and forth on it. Sure. Smart businessman, in one instance, where he has a resource that's worth tons of money, but on the second hand, exploitation of an animal, but in hopes of saving them from being poached into, you know, extinction forever.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely a lot of different movements and different ways to try to help these animals. And that's just you know, one technique. And looking back in history, I think we've been fascinated by rhinos mm-hmm. since the dawn of time. Um, there's actually cave paintings of rhinos in France that date back 30,000 years. Right. So we've loved these guys. We've been fascinated with them for a long time. And if you just look back historically on a lot of, um, Myths and stories have been written in them in the Asian culture, which just children love them, adults love them, and I do. I think there's this kind of great dichotomy between, or not, I shouldn't say great, but interesting dichotomy right. between people that love rhinos and then, of course, this poacher, or, uh, poaching culture. Now, fast, you know, fast forward to the present day, and Chris just brought up you know an interesting attempt to save these guys through domestication and and or flooding the market with a horn there's lots of other techniques and ideas that have been in, implemented to reduce this conflict of protein. Right, right. and you know one of them has actually suggested to remove horn from wild rhinos mm-hmm. and that seems like a. I was like that's pretty genius right? right uh i mean it grows back slowly but the problem with that concept is if you're familiar with the poaching, it, rhinos are actually not that difficult to poach. Once you find them, mm-hmm. you can often, they're at the watering hole. They're not probably not going to charge you unless right, they right. get spooked. But you still have to track them. And the, uh, the poachers can track them for up to two to three days following footprints, done marks, right, right. horn scratches and whatnot. And so then they, let's say they track them for three days. They're also starving, right? These poachers right. are trying to get money desperately for probably to feed their family or whatnot. And they track them for three days, and they get to a rhino, and voila, its horn has been shaved off right. by conservationists. They end up poaching him anyways right. because they're they're like, I don't want to have to track this guy again next month when I come out. Right. So that hasn't been super successful. It right. hasn't worked well. And then another really unique one that turned my head and kind of made me. The spiteful side of myself, right, right. I should say, came out. I was like, "Good idea, guys." Yeah. But another one uh, was to actually uh, catch up these wild rhinos and inf- sedate them, of course, and then infuse their horn with a mixture of pink dye and uh, a pesticide that was toxic. Right. This toxic to humans, right? Uh, not not lethal. not lethal. So if doses, you ingest it, you're going to be sick, really sicker than a dog. Sick, yeah. But you're not going to die. But this um, this poison is also completely non-toxic to the rhinos. So it doesn't do anything to them, and they just live their life right. with this...
0: But if they get poached...
1: If they get po- poached, uh, they want to send this message to the people consuming um, horn medicinally that you might getting be getting some poison.
0: Right. right, you might get poisoned.
1: But the naysayers of this movement counter with the fact Poachers don't care what their product they're right. selling they're, they're not going to kill them yeah. you know they're still going to kill them and and so that in order for this t- technique to work people would really need to be educated over in Asia as to not wanting to get it or whatnot right um, an animal
0: died for, right. for this thing that you know you you could cure better with ibuprofen exactly right exactly. And I one of the things that I've heard that's promising too is synthetic rhino horn,
1: Yes, that's to flood actually the market, yeah. That's probably my my current favorite if right. that there is such a a thing as far as strategies to reduce conflict. Uh, yeah, researchers have come up with as you mentioned in the right. opening of this segment, I mean, just putting together some amino acids. Right. And then and basically make it the same structure and pretty much unidentifiable unidentifiable from real horn versus the synthetic horn. Right. And perhaps, if you supersaturate the market, people will a, it'll be either be cheap or not people won't or people won't desire it because it might be, quote unquote be a fake right right so there's definitely tactics, and then probably the one I personally struggle with the most, even more so than domestic farming, is the legal poaching right so certain countries have come up with strategies to every year open up. Even though these numbers are super low, right? like Chris mentioned. Um, and this is in Africa, too, so right. I'm not sure if they do this in Asia. But in Africa, in Namibia, for example, right. the government opens up, I think, something like, you know, five, uh, five, you can shoot five trophy, yeah, right,
0: trophy hunts. Mm-hmm,
1: and, of course, they charge a lot of money for this it is not cheap and and then the goal is to then put that money back into conservation right so it's a different strategy and uh and of course i am definitely pro hunting here um and in north america when it's legal and it's in season and there's overpopulation and of course the hunter uses the food for meat and, yeah, and they products. eat it and versus trophy mm-hmm. hunting and versus that, trophy hunting
0: there's a new movie out it's called trophy and i haven't seen yeah. it yet and i'm dying to see it it talks about this very issue you know the really the problems with it and it's it's you know people going out and shooting elephants and paying a, a premium but steep, then that money premium. but then that money's turned around and used to preserve the other elephants so yeah, it's a tricky
1: it's a complex tricky issue. It's a complex issue that you and I are not going to solve, but in the same instance, we can educate ourselves right. and and it's hopeful to know that people are trying. Right. But we need to try harder.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of people out there that are. So the life cycle of the African and the Asian, they they they're pretty similar across both species. They live in the wild about 35 to 40 years. You know, so hard life. I mean, I think any animal in the wild sure. has a hard life. Well,
1: in captivity, they're going to live a little bit longer, right? 50, 50
0: 60? 60? Yeah, they live quite a little bit longer, not having to deal with being preyed upon, things like that. The largest, obviously, is the white rhino. The Indian Indian rhino is about the size of the white rhino, uh, maybe a little bit smaller. The Obviously, the black rhino is, is, is smaller than the white rhino but just some some statistics on the white rhinos the males or the big boys they can stand almost 6 feet at the shoulder that's tall pretty big yeah and that's 1.8 meters so i'm learning <laughs> You're getting i'm learning my metric and then they weigh the males weigh about 5000 pounds Wow. yeah they're about yeah half the size of a, a male elephant wow or 2. Point, or 2300 kilograms mm. learning that and the females just a little bit shorter 5 feet or 1.7 meters and then weigh about four thousand pounds, so a little bit smaller than the blo- the the boys. Not huge, but or not a big disparity, I guess, in size. The Java rhino is a little bit smaller than the Indian, and not as small as the Sumatran. The Sumatrans are the tiny ones. That's, that's the one, yeah. That's Harry.
1: Yeah, yeah, Harry Just stands about guy.
0: four feet at the shoulder, so. Yeah, I can Just almost jump size. on his back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you no. can jump on his back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's pretty big. The The big difference between the, the species, I guess, is in the lip, right? We talked a little bit about that. The white has the wide big lip.
1: flat square. Right. Yeah. And,
0: and that's because they're grazers. Okay. So they eat grass. That's the the plains of Africa they've evolved to. Like horses. Right. Their main dietary source is grass. Whereas the blacks are more of a browser. So the shrubs, maybe some tree branches, things like that.
1: And with the blacks, they have the prehensile lip. Right, right. They have that
0: little, that little lip. It
1: goes out. The top lip goes out like a triangle. Right, In right. In fact, my uh, one of my black rhino stories is I got to, behind the scenes, feed them some treats, uh, like sweet potato and apples and stuff you would like. They also think are treats. Yeah. And this prehensile lip... wraps around the food item, not wraps, but reaches for it and grabs it. And you also, your hand kind of goes in there, in their mouth a little bit, which for most people that'd be horrible. But for me, I was... Instantly in love. Yeah. <laughs> D- I didn't wash my hand for a week. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gross. Just, kid- just kidding. Um, but no, very, very unique, very distinct, and uh, completely different than I grew up feeding horses, right? Right. That right. had these flat lips that kind of, you know, you always have, do the flat hand. Uh, right. Uh, black rhinos are totally different.
0: Right, right. Yeah, re- and, very unique with that, that little, In fact, yeah. if
1: you're a rhino dork like myself, you should put that on your bucket list. <laughs> Go feeding- feed a black mm-hmm, rhino Yes. Not in the wild. <laughs> yeah, not in the
0: wild. Don't approach it in the wild. And
1: not some crazy roadside zoo. But, right.
0: Oh, yeah, uh, no. The Indian rhinos their their lips are kind of a mix in between they the Asian rhinos so so that's some of the things uh, that are different with them. Uh, we talked about the Indian having those plates you know the the blacks are gray the whites are gray they're all gray and then the Sumatran we talked about the hair, but also what's interesting about the Sumatran and and I'll make sure to put all the the species up on the show notes as far as what they look like, they have that sclera of the white of the eye. You can see they're oh, really yeah. unique. Yeah. Almost
1: like an Appaloosa. Voice. Yeah. They're really bizarre. Hmm. I
0: mean, the whites are, or the nice. Sumatrans are really cool. So nutrition wise. So talking about, you know, we talked about the differences in the lips and really that, that goes straight into what they eat. And that's like we said, the whites eat lots of grass, you know, probably like 120 pounds a day. So one of you a day now, wow. I know we said this last week, you're very
1: flattering. I, I, <laughs> Recently, had a child. So, <laughs> yeah, than, 120. Pounds.
0: They eat an Angie a day. How about that? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, 120 pounds, or, or and that's probably a male. So about about 100 pounds a day. But that's okay. that's stuff. a lot of food. It's a lot of food. That's
1: a couple bales of hay.
0: Yeah, they, they they put put away a lot. Now the black rhinos and the Sumatrans Indians and Javans, they're more browser types. Indians, I think, are a little bit more grazers too, but definitely Sumatrans and Javans because they grow up in forest regions, right? And then the blacks. They eat more twigs and, and So by leaves, browsing, Chris right.
1: means they uh, they instead of their head being on the ground grazing grass, they're going to be head up looking for leaves right. and twigs and different things they can use that lip to grab.
0: Right. So they definitely are their diets definitely change a little or a little bit different. Now, digestion system very similar. Like we talked about, the elephants obviously very similar to horses. Smaller stomachs. These hindgut fermenters, so all that grass and stuff in the so hindgut. So they need to
1: eat, like, all day long.
0: Right. So, yeah. They're they're meant to graze and eat all day rather than eating large meals. Now, what's interesting about rhinos, especially, especially white rhinos, is they can eat and withstand poisonous plants or toxic toxic plants. So they can go and graze and eat some of these toxic plants. So they have this ecological niche in Africa that they kind of take care of those plants and I was thinking like especially we talk about things affecting the environment that we don't really think about you take these animals out of the environment there's a natural source you know taking or keeping back the population mm-hmm. of poisonous plants what happens when you remove them and now all of a sudden these poisonous plants don't have somebody eating them and they spread all over the place in Africa and now you have other species grazing on them possibly ingesting it and dying
1: Sure I mean there's such a megafauna I definitely believe they're a keystone species. Right. So besides besides what they graze on, their dung helps dung beetles. Right. I mean, without these guys, there's a lot of uh, environmental... Impact. Yeah, that we don't even know about.
0: Right, right. And I think, you know, it would be really interesting, especially when we do an episode on wolves, how when they reintroduce wolves into Yellowstone. Sure. One of the things they had problems with was the natural fauna or Flora, or whatever you call it, the plants around mm-hmm. the rivers and streams being heavily grazed, so it changed kind of the landscape. Well, when they reintroduced wolves, they preyed on the elk, and so reduced the population of elk, which in turn allowed some of those natural plants to come back.
1: Right, they changing
0: the landscape. Right,
1: they noticed literally changes in the shift of the rivers.
0: Right. Because of the wolves.
1: Because of the wolves.
0: So when you Who talk about. Thunk? Yeah, I know. You talk about all these things that we don't think about or see, that all these creatures have an impact. So, and then most of the, you know, this will probably roll perfectly into talking a little bit about behavior. During the day, they want to spend most of their time in and in, in just wallow in mud. They just want to lay and have a mud bath and relax. They don't want to be out grazing in the heat. Then in the evenings, when it's cooler, that's when they spend a lot of their time eating for them. Now, talking about nutrition, I'm gonna brag about Angie real quick and your research. I
1: mean, I think it should be a little more than real quick. (laughs) I'm just kidding.
0: (laughs) So for the next hour and a half, we're gonna talk about Angie's research. So Angie's research project, and really when you brought this up to me as an idea, that's back when I used to
1: call you Dr. Mortensen.
0: Yeah, yeah, but you know you're Dr. (laughs) Atkins, so you're you're on the same level as me. Um, The white rhino. So you told me the story, and I love. I like. So I get really excited about you when I brag to my students when I'm teaching a class. And that is, you know, we have white rhinos in the wild, breeding fine. You know, when they're left alone, they breed fine. They have babies, have calves, what what have you. Bring them in captivity. Males seem to be okay. The female wild caught females that we bring into captivity, they breed fine. You know, we get them pregnant, and they get ba- they have babies, calves. It's their daughters born in captivity that have the problem. So, a female white rhino that's born in captivity, she doesn't reproduce, or if she does, she aborts, or she never cycles.
1: Yeah, they're pretty much, a lot of them are acyclical, which means right. they don't even have their estrous cycle.
0: Right, they're, they're messed up. Mm-hmm. Reproductively, they are mess. And we initially thought maybe it was stress.
1: Sure, I think right. common sense would say, well, they're in captivity, they're in a stressful setting because yeah. they're not in the wild. Um, and so researchers, using the scientific method, really investigated that heavily in the beginning. Is it an issue of cortisol? Right. Is it an issue of confinement? Is it behavioral? And through a lot of behavioral observations and through even mimicking breeding thing patterns that they were seeing in the wild, for the most part, were able to rule out. Right quote unquote cortisol stress and then also behavior re- reproductive behavior issues. Right.
0: So letting them do their normal courtship and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we've kind of boiled it down to what your best guess is and what you're kind of looking at now is is a soy based diet that's not a natural diet for them. Sure. But it's yeah. what we feed our animals, right? Mm-hmm.
1: So and that was what we what people started thinking next was okay, maybe it's something in their diet because right. in captivity we always try to uh, feed our animals similar to what they would eat in the wild, right. but it it can be hard to completely mimic the exact diet with some of these different plants and what, right. and what have you. So we make our best guess and we, there's speculation that this best guess in rhinos of feeding them certain grain, like we would feed a horse or a mm-hmm. cow that's high or at least has, is somewhat soy based right. in protein is maybe not the best thing because soy has a lot of, Estrogen in it, uh, we call them phytoestrogens, and that maybe these phytoestrogens fed at the wrong times in the life cycle, like perhaps when a female's pregnant Mm -hmm. or um, during puberty, when you Mm -hmm. you know your hormones are just figuring out what's going on. This might not be the best time to have um, a high estrogen diet, right? And so I'm working with others um, across uh, multiple different institutions and trying to figure out. Well, how much is actually in this feed that right. we're feeding? Chris and I, of course, are looking at horses. I have the same question about right. horses but uh, and using them as a model, but then also in rhinos. And right, and
0: I think horses are a perfect model for them because they're their closest
1: relative. Right, right? They're, they have similar nutrition, similar guts, and so... Yeah, so it's pretty exciting yeah. work. I'm very, very happy about it. It's been four years of my life banging my head against the wall a lot. Um, but we finally have some things up and coming, and we're learning. That That's why I right. do what I do to learn and shoot. I'll tell you what. I answer one question, and I have like 45 more. Right. But that's harder research. And then we're also, uh, looking at not only when they consume the diet, well, how much, what are their phytoestrogens levels in their blood? Right. Are they high? Are they low? And that will tell, help, uh, help us learn how to perhaps make different diets right. and or, um, you know, and it's
0: hard. Cause I mean, when you take them, you know, if we leave them in the wild and again, this will roll into some of the things about conservation centers and what we're trying to do. You know, we leave them in the wild, they run out of land, they are poached into extinction, northern whites, you know, perfect example. Good example. But we bring them into captivity and it's not their natural setting and we don't have the natural grasslands here, say in Florida, that they do in South Africa, per se. I mean, you know, we try to mimic some of it. So... That is having an effect and it has, you know, a, a far reaching effect. And sure. On, yeah.
1: Uh, I mean, people probably don't even know this, but there's ac- a lot of the zoos actually have zoo nutritionists yeah. that study their diets and study the animals and try to mimic the diets closest right. to their wild. Uh, so yeah, we're doing definitely doing right. our best, but there's always room to learn. I and know. There's I always wish... surprises around every corner. And this phytoestrogen thing with the rhino, uh, the white rhinos, right. um, has been an interesting um, way to kind of look at nutrition and reproduction.
0: Yeah, I mean, ideally, we just have them, and in, 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 in maybe John has an idea. John Hume has a, a good thing about you know ranching these guys. But I mean, it's not just rhinos. I mean, there's there's thousands of species that are going through this. That there's nowhere they have nowhere to live. So if we don't bring them into captivity, you know they they go extinct, sure. and then it's too late. Right. So, There's no genetic yeah. bank. Yeah, yeah. And it was, again more of the messages that, that we're going to be talking about as this podcast. Enough about goes. me.
1: I think I think we went over. Yeah, our, we were not just kidding. I no. think We went over our. Uh, but it's important stuff, our, and it's uh,
0: it's a discussion that we need to have. Like sure. we need to have this well, discussion. And well,
1: we not only we need to have discussions. We there needs to be more action and more science right. behind science based uh, research to to, to help these guys out and right. uh, i mean unfortunately science doesn't get a lot of research money for no. things as important yeah. as cancer yeah um so and then domestic animals which chris and i specialize in get even less research yeah. money um and then and then when you move to exotic, exotic animals yeah. there is no, no money. Research
0: money there's no money there's no money in, in research and in, in these species. And so
1: everyone yeah. that's doing it, like myself and many We're of my peers, by, is, yeah. is scraping by and doing it for, for love and for right. to really try to help these guys out. So. Right.
0: And it drives our passion, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it drives our passion. gives me a reason to get up every and, day. And again, just to kind of wrap that up, that idea up is just these are discussions that we need to have in the public domain. And we need people to, you know... To be not only become educated, but to say, "Hey, these are my concerns with animals in captivity. These are my concerns right. with or if, you know let's going say, out and capturing a wild rhino." Right. Yeah. Let's
1: say you don't like rhinos. That's fair. Maybe somebody's out there. Now, if don't you don't like rhinos, like. just turn this. No, <laughs> no, right. But but your kids might. Yeah. And you know, my my yeah. one of my motivating factors in life uh, when I educate and do talks and work, especially with children, is you never know who's going to be the next Jane Goodall. Right. You never know. And hopefully I'm sitting next to her (laughs) (laughs) or or one of my kids, or you just, the best thing you can do is educate and excite. And then, and then people can go on there and, and work wonders. And, we're not going to solve this crisis in my lifetime, Right. unfortunately. Yeah, it's a um, long fight. We can work towards it, but I it's think it's training fight. the next generation. Yeah. It's a long sure.
0: fight. It's a long fight. All right, so what are some of the unique things, to say, versus a rhino versus an elephant?
1: Right. So switching hmm. gears a little bit now, I get to talk about behavior, right. which uh, I'm sure you're quickly all learning. That's one of my passions. passions. Yeah. <laughs> and so just briefly... There's not a ton of differences between rhinos as far as their behavior goes. Of course, there's going to be specifics here and there between species. But in general, across the board is rhinos, typically their social behavior is that they live in solitary. Right. They usually like to avoid each other. Some rhinos are more introverted than others. And this is across the board for rhinos, except for the white rhinos. Mm -hmm. So white rhinos, interestingly enough, like to live in groups or herds of up to 10 animals, which of course are all females because boys are stinky. Right. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, the boys come around, you know, knock, knock, knock when it's, you know, breeding time. But other than that, boys aren't there. And of course, this herd will be, you know, juveniles too. Mm -hmm. And just a fun fact um, for trivia someday is a group of rhinos that live together is often termed a herd, but it can also be called a crash.
0: Crash, yeah. Which... So instead of the, the bull in a vinyl shop, <laughs> yeah. uh, the bull in the china shop, it yeah. would be a crash of rhinos. Right. In, so that's china just fun. I mean, it makes
1: sense, yeah. right? Yeah. So, but yeah. So the so the white rhinos are the only ones that typically live in a group, and then their their habitats, of course, will overlap, especially in some of these smaller reserves and whatnot. And so they'll share watering holes, mm-hmm. or um, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll share, of course, some feeding grounds. But it's kind of, uh, I can picture in my head very clearly when I uh, was learning about this behavior, but they will like scratch their feet across the grass and kick up grass and and move dirt, kind of like how my dog does after it goes to the bathroom. Yeah, Yeah, like a little bit of marking. And what that does is that signals to other uh, rhinos, hey, this is my land. Right. And they'll also urinate and then, of course, defecate to tell everybody, hey, hey, this is where I live. The
0: stinky pee Mm -hmm. is mine.
1: Yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is where I live. So don't don't you guys try that at home. Yeah, right? no, no, All right. no, no, no. Although you will keep people out of your house. <laughs> but also, interestingly enough, it could be an evolutionary thing or right. it could be how their eyes are set, but they, across the species, pretty have poor vision. Yeah, right, right. And I researchers speculate that a lot of times when rhinos charge, which is very scary to people, if you've right. ever been on the receiving end of it, I luckily, fortunately have not, but that... A lot of times they charge, not even necessarily potentially to be aggressive, but more maybe because they were spooked and they don't have this great eyesight. Eyesight, so that's just their gut reaction. They're not going to run, right? They're not a flight animal. that's going to turn around and run away. They're going to run towards what they're scared of. And so, I mean, obviously they're dangerous animals, but there might be some reasons uh, behind it. And and when this spook does happen, or this charge, or maybe they really do want to get you, whatever it is, uh, watch out because these guys are. Big like tanks. Right. But Chris, they're so agile. Yeah. If you've ever seen one run before, they, I mean, they don't look like they weigh, you know, 4,000 pounds or whatever it is. So, and they can reach speeds up to, are you ready for this? Yeah. Yeah. 30 miles an hour. That's like moped speed, right? Yeah. Like, I mean...
0: Yeah, that's... Or
1: or 45 kilometers for... Yeah, there we go. Now
0: that makes more sense. Now you can
1: can visualize it, (laughs) right? I'm going to be so
0: lost in New Zealand. (laughs) I mean, 30 miles an hour for a 5,000-pound animal coming at you, yeah, that's
1: scary. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're... They're beasts. uh, They're they're beautiful beasts. And for that being said, they don't have a lot of... As adults, they don't have a lot of predators besides, of course, their human uh, conflict that we've talked about. But young rhino do often are susceptible to... Perhaps lions, lions in Africa, game. and yeah. then um, uh, tigers, tigers in Asia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing that people don't know about rhino, because I have two little boys, and I'm always making elephant sounds, right. and cow sounds, and I have a great horse sound. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah. But uh, rhinos actually have a very extended vocabulary. Yeah, and um, they they make sounds such as grunts or snorts and snuffs, and they actually can even whistle. Yeah, I've heard that. sound. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just just really cool creatures. And then in, they've also recently found out that like the elephant we mentioned last week. The rhinos can communicate through these low infrasonic frequencies. The low
0: rumbles, right? Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: That we humans can't hear, but of course, other rhinos can hear, and it can communicate, like, "Hey, do you want to come breed with me?" or "Hey, this is my territory." And so we just keep learning really cool things yeah. about. I mean, there's so much. They're pretty well studied in captivity, but there's still so much more we can learn from them in both captivity, but then right. also in the wild. As far as
0: no, and I think you, you know, you brought it up earlier too. Is There's just no money. Right. Like that's what's so maddening about this. And it's, you know, in in episode one, talking about the sixth mass extinction, this should be in the news every day. And luckily, you know, we're seeing more and more of it creep in, but there's no money. There's no money to research this stuff and there's no money to spread the news. There's no, and it's frustrating because it's, this is our survival as a species and as a planet, earth's going to survive. Something, if, if we all die out, something's going to come around eventually. Sure. Millions of years later. Maybe it's time for the lizard people or whatever. Right. Insects dominate and they become super mega insects. I don't know. The earth will survive after we die out. But why are we killing ourselves? Right.
1: Why are we forcing our hands? Yeah.
0: And why are we not, you know, doing things to, to protect the environment and protect the human race?
1: Right. Like talking to my son about dinosaurs yeah. and explaining how they went extinct with the meteoroids and whatnot. I mean, I couldn't imagine explaining to him or a yeah. grandchild of mine, this happened in our lifetime. Like right. we could have prevented it. We kind of tried, but there was no money in yeah, it.
0: And nobody, yeah, yeah we care so, more about, you know, creating the next weapon. That's going to sure, kill more people sure, than, or sporting
1: event. Yeah. I can. mean, how many
0: billions of dollars go into national defense when, you know, billions of dollars we should fund to NASA and fund to science and, and things like that. So, Anyways, it's, again, not too much to get into the politics of it, but yeah. it is frustrating from our end point. Well, and
1: it really is, of course, because I have you know intimate relationship with these guys and yeah. some of my behavioral notes from a zookeeper, like yeah. on the lighter sides of, uh, of right. things, is if you know a rhino, uh, you know when it's happy because yeah. it will curl its tail up.
0: Yeah, I mean and
1: it runs around. If you haven't seen a rhino running yeah, around, you really, haven't lived. Yeah. It runs around and it jumps around making squeaky noises.
0: Yeah, I mean it's like it, you know these aren't dumb animals. No. These are animals that have complex have behaviors. Emotions. They are emotional. They can be you know they're scared, they they're happy, they oh, yes. grieve. They, they like they...
1: their tummies rubbed? Yeah. I mean that's what got me. Yeah. The first time I rubbed a, a black rhino t- uh, tummy, <clears throat> of course through protective contact. Yeah. I was not in with the rhino. Yeah. But I was, I mean, I was head over heels in love. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, you know, I guess we can briefly touch upon the repro, too, as far as how quickly. Because this, again, goes into the conservation message. These guys have what, like a sixteen to eighteen month gestation?
1: Yep, 16 right. is about average across the species, right. and, uh, and so then, that's like
0: the second longest, right? Because we had elephants at twenty two mm-hmm. months. I've looked up whales. Whales are less than a year or up to a year, like blue whales. Like I okay. thought a blue whale would be like forever, but yeah. it's not. It's less mm-hmm. than a year. So you're, yeah, I mean that's the second longest. That's pretty long.
1: That is, it's very right. long. And then, well, like we touched on with elephants, so they're pregnant for sixteen months, right. and then they give birth. Well, their intervals between birth is anywhere from three to five years right. because the calf stays by them for about for a, a mom, year. Yeah. Uh, or the calf nurses, excuse right. me, nurses for a year, but stays by mom for up to three years. So there's, you know, even for this gentleman who wants to domesticate or farm rhino, your turnaround is not <laughs> very, very, good. very good. And yeah. we know that in the horse industry, right. turnaround's tough, even in and you know, an animal that we know a lot it's about.
0: Species, yeah. mm-hmm.
1: And so, and then once, they're born, they don't reach sexual... Ma- Males don't reach sexual maturity until they're about 10 to 12 years. So, I mean, you have to feed it until, right. it until then. Or or that's, you know, if an animal gets poached when it's nine years old, it's just such a waste. It didn't, it didn't
0: even... Reproduce. N-
1: yeah. Right. And females don't become re- sexually reproductive or hit maturity, sexual maturity, about, until they're about six. So once again, there's this long life cycle. Um, and then, interestingly enough, out of all species... Or excuse me, on most mammals, they have one of the most dramatic, kind of interesting, uh, tough fight courtship uh, right. breeding behavior right. out of out of any mammals. Um, they will often when when it is breeding season. So when the females are in estrus, they they don't have any seasonality typically. So when they do come into their estrus cycle, and the males are pursuing them for three days or so, they can basically. Beat the living crap out of each other, and yeah. when you're in uh, in a captive or conservation setting, it always worries staff members right. uh, to put these animals together, and it's hard to watch. But we've learned through scientific studies and and whatnot that it is the best way it's to a let
0: natural it. behavior. It's a
1: natural right. courtship behavior. But in the wild, black rhinos um, have some of the highest death rates among mammals from fighting each other. That's crazy, yeah. So, I mean, very they're, aggressive. they're very yeah. aggressive. Yeah. definitely t- testosterone going there. Yeah. And, and then with the males and females, once they uh, once they breed, they go their separate ways. Right. And that kind of leads into some of the solitary behaviors.
0: So, so just on the, the black rhinos, I know from a, from a captive setting, we have this skewed male-female ratio. And I know, I don't know if, if you're... If you've looked at some of the research out there and and how much, again, because we don't have tons of money, we can't research all this, but there's such a skew of males being born in captivity Mm -hmm. with black rhinos than females. And of course the black or the males, we only need, you know, a few sperm cells. (laughs) Yeah. One sperm cell really to make it, but you don't need, you know, this disproportionate number of males we need more females right and, and
1: males are hard are hard to house and
0: yeah exactly you can't have 10 males no. together they'll kill each other so again an area of research hopefully maybe the next good Goodall sitting next to me uh <laughs> can solve for these guys It's, you know, there's a lot of questions out there.
1: Sure. There's definitely more, uh, more questions at this point than, than answers, but that's our job to ask these questions and figure out how to live with them peacefully in the wild and then, and promote them and let them live in the wild. But then also, you know, in a captive setting, how to keep those numbers and keep a genetic, um, basically safeguard a genetic bank around. I mean, when
0: you're talking what 3,500, 5,000 black rhinos left in the world and they're getting poached, and they're really contentious areas of the world. So, yeah, I mean, we got to answer some of these questions or they're gone. Absolutely. You know, Maybe white rhinos will make it with farming. I don't know. But blacks, you know, especially because you talk about blacks are solitary, so that's not really a viable option for them either, farming no. a black rhino.
1: No, definitely not. Because
0: you look at the pictures of, of these this ranch in South Africa, there's like a thousand rhinos in a herd. It's pretty funny, actually. So maybe, I don't know, hopefully, maybe that's one answer. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, right. we definitely need to learn learn more about these yeah. guys. It's uh,
0: complex. I mean, every species, there's some complexity to it.
1: It's, it's very complex. Right,
0: right. So we're looking at uh, white rhinos. Now they're, they're, are they bouncing back a little bit, or are they going back down?
1: Well, um, the whites are still... The numbers are about leveling out. Okay. So their birth rates are about equaling their poaching rates.
0: Okay. So they're kind of so we steady need, right now.
1: Uh, steady, but Maybe also historically using modeling um, because of this life cycle, this rate is not sustainable. Right. And the poaching will then eventually get them wipe out. Yeah, yeah wipe, wipe them out. out. If, if the poaching rate rate stays. But okay. once again, to be hopeful that people are trying a lot of different tactics. Right. We're at, becoming more educated, a more connect, interconnected society. So, you know, I think uh, we've got a little bit more time with those guys. Mm-hmm. What we don't have time with are all the rest. The black rhino are at 5,000. The Indians under 4,000. And then Jama- or, uh, Javan and Sumatran are... Uh,
0: Pretty much on their way to extinction most likely
1: and i hate to use the word miracle lightly um that's not the right word but yeah it it doesn't modeling does not look good
0: yeah i I mean even reading about the javan there was some populations in it was vietnam i think it was vietnam uh, when i read and it was about 10 years ago there they found the last one the last uh, javan rhino in southeast asia uh, slaughtered for his horn so Which then, is
1: super sad because these guys, their horns are like not even big.
0: I know. I know, yeah. I mean, compared to She's the others. And it's just ugh and it's just fingernails, folks. Yeah. That's all it is. But yeah, they're they're pretty uh pretty sad.
1: Well and the other thing too to think about is when you get down to these critically in the low numbers in the thousands is genetic diversity. I mean right. that's that's your jam. You love that right. you love to talk about that kind of stuff. It's it's a real problem. And right. that's why the um these northern white rhinos, the three that are left. I mean, scientists know that it's pretty much a lost cause because what? What can you do with three? Um, even though they do have once again some frozen right. some frozen gametes and whatnot. So we don't want we don't want the blacks and the um, and to the Indian to, rhinos to, to get to those. Th- right. I mean, it, they're it, still at a low number, but we don't want it to get even lower because it just makes everything harder. And then we're we're you and I are super focused on um poaching but we've mentioned you touched on habitat loss there's there's also disease and then in certain areas there's a lot of natural disasters between fires and earthquakes and typhoons so and all that's normal and natural but we put that on top of the human
0: in the very tiny population the tiny
1: population it's, it's, it's it doesn't
0: take much no it doesn't take much to tip them over for for extinction and Yeah, I mean, when we talk about genetic diversity, that's definitely something that in the future, you know, we should we should talk about, you know, and and just I like to use the the Przewalski horse as an example that we were down to 12 breeding animals Mm in the 70s. Again, another conservation success story where they were only in zoos, they were extinct in the wild, brought them back and now have reintroduced them into Mongolia and China. There's about 2000. Down, you know, from 12 to 2000. It's a
1: great success story. But
0: they're heavily inbred and they have problems. There's a lot of natural, a lot of behavioral issues. I've read about stallions killing foals, like just things that are not normal for equids to Mm -hmm. do. So, yeah, when you, genetic diversity, that is, again, another major issue that that, uh, threatens a lot of these animals. But anyways, there are people doing the good fight. Yes. We're doing the good fight. Yes. So you know, please you know go to our website. Please sign up for our, our newsletter. And and if you've made it to this episode at this point, you know I think we're, we're comfortable enough to ask you to rate and review our uh, our podcast if you think we're we're worthy. We really need to spread this message.
1: Well, that feedback is good.
0: Yes, please give us feedback. You can go to the website and there's. Definitely a place where you can go and give us some feedback. Or tell
1: us some species you want to learn more about.
0: Yeah, that's that's for sure. That's uh, when we do the, the Patreon. We're going to be doing a lot of polls and stuff. Real quick, conservation tip, never buy horn. Just never, Tell ever. your
1: friends not to buy horn. Yeah, it's why? not cool.
0: It's not cool. And you even rhino horn daggers was like a big thing in the Middle East or Southwest Asia. Not cool. That's stupid. That's just, ugh. it's like, why? Why? You're, you're killing off an animal for, for something that is Like dumb. make
1: a finger horn. Or yeah. f- like a finger.
0: Fingernail yeah. horn. I, yeah. yeah. Chew your fingernails. If you're <laughs> feeling sick, chew and eat your fingernails. It's the same thing as rhino horn. okay Ugh. Or take an ibuprofen. I promise you that ibuprofen will help you more. Yes. So any special organizations
1: you have? Okay. Well, I mean, I know my goal was to have one. Yeah. So I did not meet that goal. And I have two. Yeah. But briefly, there's a lot of good people doing a lot of great things for mm-hmm. rhinos. Um, one of my favorite uh, groups is the International Rhino Foundation, mm-hmm. or IRF, or you can Google rhinos.org. They've given over $20 million worldwide to rh- rhino conservation in the past year, uh, 10 or 20 years. Right. In 10 different countries, they actually use science. Right, they right. work on habitat conservation, anti-poaching, uh, captive breeding, education, right? education's key. They're a really good group, and I highly recommend you check out their website and vote with your dollar and tell those guys you mm-hmm. like what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And then another one you should check out is a, a dream job of mine, or if I ever ran away from uh, life, I would run to the Rhino Orphanage right. in South Africa, and that can be found at the za. And their mission is to rescue, of course, baby mm-hmm. calves uh, that have been uh, orphaned. From the poaching crisis, right. so we we haven't even touched on that. Think about uh, you you know you poach a mom and you leave behind a two year old rhino baby, yeah, that's not survive. sufficient. Yeah. Sure, so they do really great thing and they nurse them back to health. And sometimes baby uh, calf rhinos are cut off too, mm-hmm. and they help nurse those guys to health. And um, they do really good things. And then and so you can check them out too. They're right. one of my favorite. Uh, sites to follow on Facebook and Instagram because they just have cute pictures all the yeah. time. Yeah. And they're guys that are doing the real work.
0: Right. They're in the, they're in the, they're the trenches. in the throes of right. it. They're in the trenches of it right.
1: and they're fighting the good fight. And I'm just, uh I'm, I'm really proud that there's so many good people out there right. that are, um, are working to save, working to save Ryan. Yeah. Working
0: hard, working hard. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for sticking with us and we will go team rhino. Yes. Team rhino. And that was Angie's favorite rhinos. Now that we got those out of the way, we'll definitely be bringing uh, a diverse range of species, but we had to start with our two favorites and uh, let's know what your favorites are. And Please. Then we'll, we'll try to, to get an episode on them. All right. Well, thanks. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Listen, learn, share, join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.